Thank you very much for the privilege of being here. My name is Yolo Tsopeles. I've been working with McKinsey for 23 years. For purposes of introduction, I've studied economics and mathematics and business, and then I did an MBA in Boston. For purposes, again, of uh, introduction, McKinsey has been in, present in Greece for the last 20 years, and uh, we have had the privilege of serving 32 out of the top 40 corporations in the last three, four years. The subject today is supposed to be the Greek industrial sector, and particularly the manufacturing part of that, which is metapiece. But I will take a few minutes to actually speak about something else. And the reason I'll speak about something else is because I fully appreciate the euphoria that exists in this room about the metrics of GDP growth and primary surplus. And I wanted to remind everybody that even during the hard years of 12, 13, 14, in this conference, McKinsey and Company was the one that was saying, guys, the crisis is going to end. We have a bright future. There are a number of sectors we need to invest in and so on and so forth. So where we come from, we come from a very optimistic view. Having said that, I just wanted to say is that the GDP growth that we see comes primarily from two things. The one is tourism and the second one is increased consumption. And uh, this is not sustainable. What is sustainable is investment. So GDP growth will be delightful when it comes not only from consumption and increased tourism, but also from investments. And there is a lot of money that come in, and people said that, but we just need to see certain circumstances, certain conditions for that investment to come flow. The second thing is that the primary surplus is coming from excessive taxation, and that is not sustainable either. In order for you to be able to have a primary surplus, and that being sustainable, that needs a tax reform, which essentially will lower taxes. And where the money is going to come from, the primary surplus is going to come basically from cutting the public administration cost, as well as really fighting tax evasion, which is not happening as much as we want it to be for the moment. And the third thing is the stability of the banking sector. And the banking sector will not be stable unless a new good framework is put in place for the MPLs of the country. So what I'm trying to say is that it's great that we have primary surplus. It's great that we have GDP growth instead of the depression. But unless you do on the fundamentals, the sustainability will not be there. And this is investments, tax reform, and the healthy banking system, which is based on an NPL resolution, which needs to come from a clean regulation on those. So this is something that it is independent from what I was supposed to discuss. I just wanted to make these things clear in order to make sure that we all understand that the euphoria will continue as long as these fundamentals are put in place. Now, as far as industrial uh, development is concerned, we have been talking in the past in this panel, in this event, in other events, about tourism, about agriculture, about a number of different sectors that are all known to Greeks and to abroad. We've never talked about industry. And the question was, industry, is this an engine for growth or not? And the thesis of McKinsey is that, yes, it is. Yes, it is under certain circumstances. Is it going to be as easy as tourism? No, it's not. Is it going to be as easy as agricultural primary production? No, it's not. It's going to be an uphill battle, but there is potential there which is important. We will discuss two things. The first one is basically have transparency about what is happening today 
And then, you know, what are the things that need to be done in order for the, for the, for the industrial sector to materialize its potential? So, first of all, to remember, when we talk about industry, let me just remind everybody the classification so we are all on the same page. According to Eurostat, biomechania, which is industry, is basically broken down into three or four different subsectors. The one is manufacturing, the other one is mining and querying, the other one is electricity and renewables, and the other one is non-electricity, non-renewables um, uh, utilities. These are the four subsectors of biomechania, industry. This presentation is basically focusing on manufacturing, metapiece, which is the biggest part of that. So, metapiece, manufacturing, remember that it is 15 billion of GVA, it's basically 9% of the economy, it employs 350,000 people, and again, 9% of the total employment, and it's the number one sector with companies that have more than 250 employees. You have all heard before that fragmentation is a big issue in the Greek um, economy, and, and manufacturing is the one that breaks it, being the biggest companies. In terms of exports, it's 11 billion. It has 53% of the companies that are active in manufacturing are exporting, which is a record among sectors, and it has a share of total exports of 44%. Three billion of investment, as we're gonna see, has been very resilient in the, in the crisis, which is 15% of what the country is investing in total. And basically, 27% of whatever we spend in R&D as a country comes from manufacturing. Now, when we, do, when we do see the industry, biomechania, and then manufacturing within that, we see something which I don't know if you were waiting for it, which basically says that the in industry, biomechania, is the number one production sector. The sectors should not be put at the same level. We have production sectors, we have input cost sectors, imputed return sectors, and derived demand. So we shouldn't be putting public administration, financial services, or real estate anywhere close to comparing them with the production sectors. Production sectors mean producing real product. And then in, within those, industries number one with 20 billion, 20 billion of GVA and 413,000 of employment. Out of this 20 billion, the 15, as I said before, is manufacturing. So as you see here, you break down the industry. And then you have manufacturing broken down in light and heavy. And then you have electricity, utilities, and mining and querying. So you see here the different subsectors of manufacturing with basic and other metals being number one, coke and refined petroleum number two, and so on and so forth. Whereas in the light manufacturing, the major and predominant sector is food and beverage. So, Think about it, 20 billion in the Greek economy, 20 billion of GVA is Elinigivio-Mechania, the Greek industry, out of which 15 is basically manufacturing, metabese, and out of which basically the heavy part is 42% of the total, and uh, the light one is 34%. <clears throat> the resilience of manufacturing in the crisis in terms of investments has been important. Here you see net capital formation throughout the crisis. So you see that despite all other sectors going like that, manufacturing hasn't been enduring it. And now it's at the level of 2000, which is great news. Another thing is that it is a big player in the exports. Here you see how the composition of the exports has gone. And at the below, below uh, bubble, you see what is the net export figure, which means that we rely a lot on manufacturing in order to make exports. This is the bottom line. Then, everybody's talking about the deindustrialization, which is true. Here you see how the deindustrialization went. 
you basically see the, 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 the era, the first one, the startup growth from 1960s all the way to 80s, then the EC era, and then you see how it goes in the thing. The yellow line is basically, it's an absolute, it, it's mere billion, and then the blue line is the participation of manufacturing in the Greek economy. Interestingly, uh, between us and the EU, there has always been a six percentage points of difference in terms of how important manufacturing is in the economy. So we have always been at that distance, and they have been deindustrializing at lower pace. This is a bit of a difficult page, I apologize for that, but it is an important page to show that basically what happens with deindustrialization has progressed more intensively in Greece compared to other European countries. What you see on the, on the horizontal axis is the manufacturing real GVA growth, how much it's growing, and on the, on the uh, vertical axis you see the real GVA contribution to the economy. You see where Greece is, both in terms of the relative size of manufacturing as well as how much it's growing. So the deindustrialization in Greece has been happening at a faster pace. This is a little bit to state the stage Remember that this is very important among the Greek sectors. This is something that we need to answer then the question, does it have future or not? And the answer McKinsey is coming up for is the following. It is that yes, indeed, there are specific conditions and specific actions that can be taken that will actually have a very meaningful impact in terms of Elinikivio-Mechania and particularly Metapis. So the 15 billion that we saw before can very easily become 25 to 28 within a 10-year horizon. The 9% of total, which is the composition of the economy, 9% coming from manufacturing can come to 15 or 16%. This is as far as the gross value added. And then in terms of employment, from 350,000 jobs, we can get all the way to 600 to 700,000 jobs, which means that 9% of the population that now currently works in manufacturing is going to go to 15, 16, 17%. This is major. This is major and it is not expected because everybody thinks of Greece as tourism, sun and, sun and beach, everything's of Greece as fruits and, and food and everybody thinks of Greece of these things. No, Greece is not only that. Greece has to do a lot about R&D and about thinking and innovation. It has to do a lot about being a trade hub uh, and it has to do a lot about reindustrializing the country. We need to believe that and we need to make the things that need, will bring that true. And these things are four. There are a lot of different ideas, but at the very end of the day, there are four things that are going to make the difference. The first and foremost thing is going to be that we need to develop once and forever a very senior national industrial strategy. I'm not going to say when was the last time that this was happening because I'm going to be blamed for making political comments which have nothing to do with whatever I have been doing for the last 20 years because McKinsey is well above anything this. But we do not have a national industrial strategy which basically does three things. The first one is talking about sector consolidation. The second one is talking about how can we shift to higher value added production. And the third one to see what kind of new opportunities we have. I mean, let's see some examples here. Let me just remind you the huge impact of fragmentation. These are the companies in manufacturing. Look what it, what it tells you. It tells you that only the small portion at the top of companies above 250 employees are basically producing 30, 40% of the total gross value added. So less 0.2% of the companies are producing 40% of the gross value added and are employing 21% of the people. And then you see on the right-hand side the difference in productivity. Give me a break. Look at that. 
Look, the fact that if you look at the companies above 250 employees, you are getting a productivity index of 194 with, a, with an average of 100. And look where the productivity of the smaller companies are. So sector consolidation is a must. And we have done it. We have done it very successfully. In Greece, we have done it. Look at, remember the case of passenger ferries. The situation on the left was that they were losing money like nothing. There is no tomorrow. There was basically too little on the top line and too much loss on the bottom line. And then basically what happens is that we basically took over the sector, that was McKinsey together with the banks, and basically consolidated the sector. We reduced the vessel capacity, we eliminated marginal players, we basically took away the subsidized routes, we made joint ventures, which basically allowed us to do optimize the routes, basically allow us to get real efficiencies and see what happened on the right-hand side. And that happened in two and a half years. In two and a half years, sector consolidation is producing these results. So a holistic industrial strategy needs to make sure that it takes care of how sector consolidation is going to take place. After all, it's not that difficult. It's just things that are need to be done, and they need to be done tomorrow. Look at what happens in Europe. This is basically still players. Look at them. Look how they are doing. The only ones that are really making good is the example here of Vestel Alpine, which is the one player in the market that is basically went from lower value added to higher value added activities. I'm not going to go into details. You can come back to me with any detail you want. But the idea is what I was saying before. Beyond sector consolidation, you need to shift from lower value added activities to higher value added activities because you will see later that we have a structural issue in terms of the input cost of labor. And then finally, there are new opportunities. We are going to have a major improvement, a major improvement of our generation mix. We are going to invest massively in renewables. The page here is showing you that you are going to basically be building capacity, which is five gigawatt of renewables, which basically six billion euros of investment. And then on the right-hand side, you will see the, the analysis of the wind. And I'm asking you a simple question. Okay. Okay, can we do anything here in Greece, San Adisathmistikofelos, for the installation of this in nacelles, on rotors, but definitely in towers? Towers is nothing more than halibas and cement. Why are we part of that? We are going to make all these deals with these guys that are going to... Why, why we are not participating in this? So there are plenty of new opportunities that we need to think about. But this needs to come under, an, under a national, logical, robust, bottom-up, industrial strategy that currently does not exist. The second thing has to do with the following. We need, and we know, a number of different things that are not working. But we need to take care of them at some point in time. And therefore, we need a framework development law for industry, which basically will take care of three things. The first one, there are known obstacles that we need to take care of in a, in a systematic way, which we are not doing. We need to address cost of major inputs, and finally, we need to fix the R&D framework. Now, this is something that we can discuss in detail. There are issues in licensing, in spatial planning, in other situations. We know exactly what the problems are. We even have laws that we are not enforcing, laws that are making things much easier for, for the industry that we are not applying. Labor cost. A lot of people say that the labor cost has gone at the levels which makes us extremely competitive. It is true that we have regained the competitiveness that we lost during the euro area. So during the euro area, we went up with trading partners. This is the analysis against the 37 trading partners. But then you see it went down. So we restored some of that productivity. But then when you do the analysis today, 
You see where we are against the others, and you see that we are in the middle. And yes, our labor cost, wages plus contributions, is basically lower compared to countries such as Spain, Italy, France, and Germany, but these are not competing investment destinations for industry. Against Bulgaria, Poland, Hungary, Czech Republic, Slovakia, we are higher. And look, I'm not suggesting here that we need to do further cuts. This is making the point that is basically we need to do things about productivity gains later on I'll discuss, as well as shifting to higher value-added production, which is less labor-intensive. And then electricity. Look at it, where it is, electricity cost. This is the industrial situation. So what is the cost per megawatt hour between 500 and 2,000 megawatt hours, and then the cost of, of, the cost of natural gas? And then, you know what? You know what? With the leakages that we're having, losses, the collections that PPC cannot do because of the framework, because they don't allow to basically cut the, the electricity, the fact that the market structure is not there. Let me just remind you a very simple example. Currently, the special tax for high voltage is basically, uh, is basically two and a half euro per megawatt hour, and the one for medium voltage is five euro per megawatt hour. While we know that in Greece, the biggest part of the potential that comes out of industry is in the mid-sized companies, then the simple question of logic says that why don't we equalize to an edicophoro-cut analysis? So it is going to be two and a half, the same one between medium voltage and low voltage. Now, R&D, look at where we are in R&D. I mean, we need to get serious about it, but in order for companies to start investing in R&D, we need to have a framework which we currently don't. Then, the third part has to do with the following. As I was saying before, the framework that we currently have for operational and financial restructuring of corporations is not yet there. Therefore, there is basically a big problem. Look at this. Now, we have, this is taking a sample of three systemic banks out of the four. Guys, look at this. Is, is, because we're talking about investments in new projects, but investments are first and foremost are going to come from investing in our own companies that are currently in big need for expansion. So this is telling you that there is 1,153 groups that basically have a total exposure of 36 billion, out of which 20 is NPs, non-performing exposures. Take the healthy out, take the ones that are dead out, and you are ending up with 461 groups which basically need financial and operational restructuring. And this basically represents 15 to 20 billion in GVA, it's 1,400 companies, and basically it's around 100,000 of employees. These companies with the current framework cannot be restructured financially or operationally. And why this is the case? And here you see in a very complex page, which I apologize, basically it looks how problematic you are. What it, what it tells you is how much you have MPEs, non-performing exposures, and what is the multiple between your EBITDA and the debt. If you are at the bottom left, you are okay. Up, you are okay. And then forget the remaining. You see that the subsectors of, of, of the industrial subsectors are in a relatively good standing, and they are basically prone for this restructuring because they are not dead. And then you have a framework, and basically McKinsey did a big project about HFSF to say which are the barriers and what are the barriers that need to be removed. Yes, there was a law that passed that removed some of the barriers, but there are still important barriers that yet need to be removed. Let me give you a very simple example. When, when someone is making a write-off, at the bottom, the example at the very bottom, when you have a debtor which basically makes a write-off, it is considered to be a taxable income. I mean, come on, give, give me a break. 
give me a break. Uh, whereas, you know, if, I, if I'm an investor and I want to install in agreement with the banks, a chief financial officer in a company in distress, uh, then these guys are legally liable for whatever happens to the company. Or if a credit committee makes a decision about giving working capital, and then the company finally goes bust, then the members of the credit committee are criminally liable for the decision they made. So with these circumstances, what exactly do we expect to happen to these companies that are really waiting for financial restructuring? So we need to complete the framework. The solutions are there, we just need to vote them in the parliament. And finally, because we said that it is truly important to basically look at what the companies now will do, because up until now we talked about the regulation and what the country needs to do, but the companies themselves, they need to get very serious about Industry 4.0. There are specific things that are happening in Europe, they're happening all around the world, and we need to very seriously take them into account. Now, I'm not gonna go into detail, anyone that wishes to discuss this in detail, there are specific technologies, four disruptive technologies, which are used, the one that you know most likely, and most widely spread, has to do with advanced analytics. But what is important is not so much the description of these technologies, but what is important is what the impact of that can be. These are actual case examples. The actual case examples from specific industrial players, very relevant to the ones that we have in Greece. This is the entire value chain for an industrial company. And then you see things such as, when you talk about resources and processes, you can make productivity increases up to 5%. You can make a reduction of machine downtime up to 50%. You can have a 45 to 55% increase in productivity in technical professions throughout automation of knowledge work. You can reduce inventories holding costs by 20 to 50%. These are real case examples of, of the application of Industry 4.0. So our industrial companies, with the support of the regulation for consolidation, they need to get, engage into these types of things that are not new, that are known, that we know how to actually make them happen, to materially increase the productivity. So we maintain very strongly that the potential for the industrial sector is there as long as these four things take place. Are they easy? No. But are they so difficult? Neither, they are not. It's just things that they are known and they just need to be legislated or to be done by the players in the market. This potential exists. From 15 billion GVA, we can very easily come to 25 to 28. Greece is not only sun and beach. Greece is not only peaches and fruits and olives. Greece can be much more than this with industrial being an engine of that growth for sure. Thank you very much.